Well, church, we are finishing our study in Colossians this morning. And uh, this was something that we began back at the end of March. Uh, that was back in the days when we were just on Zoom. We were just online. Uh, you guys remember those days? Yeah, give it up for those Zoom days. No? It's too soon? Too soon? Okay. All right. All right. But yeah, we started this back on Zoom, right? Back uh, when we were all isolated, quarantined, we started the book of Colossians, and we're about now 21 sermons in, and we are finishing it up this morning, okay? And we're going to wrap up this series in Colossians by me calling you guys out a little bit. Okay, I'm going to apply some pressure to you this morning as we are exiting out of our study of Colossians, and uh, hopefully that's okay. Do you guys feel like you can handle a little bit of pressure this morning? Do you feel like you can be called out a little bit this morning? Hopefully we've grown some in our maturity in Christ, right? That's been the title of our series in Colossians, that we would mature in Christ. And so today I think you can handle this. I think you can handle being called out a little bit and experiencing a little bit of pressure. Uh, Britt Brit and I, this last weekend, we went to a comedy club. And uh, I've actually, I don't think I've ever been to a comedy club before, uh, but this was Gutty's Comedy Club in Greenwood, uh, and it's, it's a clean comedy club, and, uh, and we went, and what a few of the comedians did uh, was like leading into some of their jokes is that they would go around the room and just start calling people out, right? Uh, they would start just calling on people and asking them, you know, how long they've been married, or uh, how many kids they have, and what the ages of their kids are, and then that would kind of then lead into one of their jokes. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but when someone starts like calling people out individually, I get a little nervous. All right. Like I'm sitting there in the back, like all of a sudden panicking, you know, like how long have I been married and how many, how many kids do I have? And I'm like trying to like take notes in case he were to call me out. Okay. And uh, I thought about starting off this morning that way by calling some people, but I'm not going to. All right. So uh, everyone just take a deep breath. All right. Uh, I'm not calling anyone out individually this morning. Uh, but maybe you've been in a, in a room like that before, or maybe it's been like a classroom experience, right? You've been sitting there just minding your own business, listening to the lecture, enjoying your educational experience. And then the professor starts calling people by name to answer questions. And what happens? Like all of a sudden, okay, like this just got real, right? Everyone's like sweating a little bit. Everyone's a little bit more locked in what's going on because they are getting called out. And so this morning, I do want to put a healthy, I think, a, a right sense of pressure and responsibility on all of our shoulders this morning, because look at how Paul closes this letter out, okay? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians 4. Uh, if you forget your Bible, don't have one, you can always grab one in on the way in. Uh, we're going to have some of the scriptures up on the screen. We're going to go through a lot, but if you want to camp out in Colossians 4, that would be a good place to be. And we're going to look at all the verses 12 through 18, but look at verse 17, okay? Because this is a call out. This is a call out. Paul says in 4 verse 17, he says, And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know what all was going on with Archippus. We don't know if he went by Archie for short. We can just speculate on some of those things. We don't know. But this dude is getting publicly called out. 
And really, when Paul calls someone out, it's, it's even bigger because this is like now for all church history. This guy has been called out in churches all over the world. You, you imagine the first time that this was read to the Colossians, that when, when, they, when they read this verse, everyone just kind of turning to look at Archippus. And, uh, and hopefully he's there. Hopefully he came that day. Hopefully he's not in the restroom. Hopefully he's not spacing out. Uh, but all of a sudden, right, everyone's eyes are on him. And I can imagine his wife just kind of, you know, slinking down a little bit. Like, why in the world is Paul calling him out? But Franklin City Church, did you know that you have a ministry that you've received from the Lord as well? And we've been learning about this all throughout Colossians. It's a similar one that Paul had in Colossians 1.28 when he said, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. Our ministry is to proclaim Christ, to warn and teach everyone in all wisdom so that we would all become mature in Christ. It's what Jesus was talking about when he gave his disciples the Great Commission, right? In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, many of you have this memorized. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This, this great commission is given to all of Jesus' disciples, okay? Not just pastors. This is not just a ministry that I've received. This is a ministry that all of us have received as well. And it, it might look differently for each of us, right? That's what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. We've each been uniquely gifted and, and given skills and talents, and we've been given different callings, but all of it is kind of operating under this umbrella ministry, this call to go and make disciples and to teach them all that Jesus has commanded. That's where all this is moving towards. And the Great Commission, listen, it is more than just sharing the gospel with people, which that's a beautiful thing to do. We must be better at sharing the gospel with people, but this is bigger than just evangelism because yes, we're called to make disciples and we're not just called to, to make decisions for Christ. And we're supposed to then teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Now listen, discipling and teaching people all that Jesus has commanded, that takes time. That, that's not a microwavable process. That, that, is a, that is a lot of work. That is a lot of perseverance. That is a lot of faithful ministry by a group of people in a certain place to even over the years and maybe even over the generations disciple a city and teach them all that Jesus has commanded. But church, this is why we planted a church. This is why we planted a church, and this is why we didn't just organize a few evangelistic events. We planted a church so that we might truly make disciples here in Franklin, and that we might teach people all that Jesus has commanded, and that we might do it year after year. This is the ministry that we have received from the Lord. And so here's my call out to you guys, all right? Franklin City Church... Fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. Fulfill the ministry 
that you have received in the Lord. Lord. The word fulfill there in verse 17, it means to fill to the brim. It means to fill up, to abound, to flourish, to overflow. We have received a ministry here in Franklin. We must fulfill it. We must see it flourish. And the question is, what's what's going to stop us? What's going to stop that from happening? And that's what I want to address today, okay? Uh, Today I want to address three things that could stop you from fulfilling the ministry you have received in the Lord. And we're going to do that by looking at a few of these names in Paul's closing letter, uh, the, the, the closing part of the letter to the Colossians. And by looking at a few of these people, we're going to see three things that could keep you from fulfilling the ministry that you have received in the Lord. All right, are you guys ready? Okay, first one. First thing that could stop you from fulfilling the ministry you have received in the Lord is not getting after it in prayer and in the work that God has given you. Look at, look at verse 12, Colossians 4, verse 12. He writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. The word struggling, all right, this word struggling on your behalf in his prayers, it's getting at the idea of agonizing. All right, it's almost giving an athletic description of like a wrestling match or contending in prayer. Now, you remember who Epaphras was. Epaphras was the church planter to the Colossians, all right? He had likely come to Christ when Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus, and Epaphras had then taken the gospel to his hometown, and he had proclaimed the gospel, he had made disciples, and he had then planted a church. But then he gets concerned about the church because there's some false teaching creeping into the church. And so he goes to talk to Paul about it, who's in prison in Rome. Paul now writes this letter to the Colossians, and he's there firsthand witnessing Epaphras just struggling and agonizing and wrestling with God in prayer for the sake of the Colossians. He's getting after it in prayer. This same sort of agony was what was described of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed. In Luke 22, verse 44, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood. Now that's, now that's struggling in prayer, right? That's, that's agonizing in prayer. And this getting after it in prayer is pretty countercultural to, I would say, how we view prayer. We view prayer uh, like Instagram prayer, right? With the, with the perfect filter uh, and the cup of coffee and our devotional and our Bible and our notebook and we're well rested and the kids are doing their chores obediently in the background and like that's our picture of prayer, hashtag prayer, hashtag blessed, Right? <laughs> Now listen, prayer doesn't always look like that. (laughs) Correction, prayer usually does not look like that. And if you wait for prayer to look like that, you probably won't pray that much. But Epaphras, no, this guy, he loves God, and he loves God's people, and he's just getting after it in prayer on their behalf. 
And I think for us, you know, in order for us to really get after it in prayer, to really struggle in prayer, to really agonize in prayer, I think we're going to have to have a change of mindset when we think about just life and we think about how we approach prayer. Most of us fail to get after it in prayer because we are living in this current age, in this current time, like it is peacetime instead of like it is wartime. And church, it is wartime. And we need a wartime mentality when we approach prayer. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, he tells them to put on the armor of God. That's, that's wartime talk, okay? That's not peacetime talk. That is wartime talk to put on the armor of God. But he's not telling them to go get guns or ammunition, right? No, he clarifies in, in Ephesians 6. So let me clarify as well, all right? Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, we don't wrestle or agonize in prayer because we forget that we are wrestling and battling against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. John Piper once wrote this, and we'll have this quote up on the screen. He said, The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. They have stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the den. Now that's a little convicting. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that's, that, that one got me, right? I mean, uh, uh, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is when we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Church, we must wake up to the fact that it is wartime. And we're not ultimately fighting physical human enemies but instead spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that would love to see a season like this cause division in the body of Christ. And if that's true, if it's wartime, if we are going to then have any chance to fulfill the ministry that God has given to us, we must not turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom, but instead we must struggle on one another's behalf in our prayers. Now listen, your pastors, we are, we are doing this for you, okay? This is a big part of all of our job descriptions is to get after it in prayer on behalf of the flock. But it is not just a call for pastors. This is a call for the body of Christ. 
And we want all of you as the church to fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. And therefore, we must be struggling and agonizing and getting after it in our prayers on behalf of one another. We must, like Jacob, wrestle with God in prayer and hold on to him tight through the darkness, trusting that blessing and morning light are coming. Church, are you struggling in prayer for one another? Are you praying fervently that we would grow in our maturity in Christ and that we would be fully assured of God's plans and promises of salvation through Jesus? And so let me ask you to do something this week, okay? Let's be really practical and applicable here. I would ask you to commit to doing this for three people in our church this week. Right? I, I want you to think of three people in our church that the Lord's going to lay on your heart, and I want you to struggle and get after it in prayer on their behalf this week. Maybe today, talk to them after church. Maybe send them a text, an email, say, hey, how can I be praying for you? How can I go to the Lord on your behalf? And then, don't just stop there, because that's a lot of times where we stop, but then actually set a phone reminder, write a note on your computer, put it on your bathroom sink, put it somewhere where you will actually remember to pray, and then this week, go get after it in prayer on behalf of three people in our church. Can you imagine what God could do through that? So I'd invite you to participate with us and pray specifically for three people in our church this morning. Oh, may the Lord raise up more and more Epaphrases here in our body. I wasn't sure what the plural of Epaphras was, but Epaphrases or Epaphrasi, if you wanted to be smart, maybe. But listen, not only do we need to get after it in our prayers, but look at else the example that Epaphras sets for us. Okay, look at verse 13. Paul goes on about Epaphras. He says, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. Okay, listen, most, most church plants... Do not make it past five years of church life. And there are a lot of reasons for that. A lot of people have some theories as to what all happens, you know, by the, in those first five years. But one of the reasons is that church planting is hard work. Uh, to start a new work, to start something from nothing is difficult and sometimes can be painful and grueling work. And we're coming upon year three. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. But this, this year especially has been uh, difficult, which I know it's been difficult for all of us, right, in all areas of our life, whether it be job or school. Like, it's, it's been difficult, right? The first two years, we had hoped kind of getting some rhythms into place would then free us up to do different other aspects of ministry. And then the year 2020 came, and uh, everything we did in the first two years is kind of just thrown out the window, and we're starting from scratch again, right? And so all of our ministry leaders, whether it's kids' ministry or worship or hospitality, like city groups, we're all having to now kind of rethink and redo and replan what is going to happen. It's been, it's been kind of a hard year. But hard work doesn't mean that it's bad work. Not, not at all, right? Like we should be working hard in whatever God gives us to do. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when, and when we were in Colossians 3. But Harrison, if you could put up Colossians 3, 23 and 24, remember we, we preached on this 
Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Right? And so what did we learn? We learned that work that is done unto the Lord, it becomes worship. We don't worship our work, but we do worship God through our work. And therefore, whether we are a three-year-old church plant or whether we are a 30-year-old established church, regardless, our work should never become comfortable and easy. We should never flip things into cruise control, but instead we must always be working hard at it. And here's where I see good signs of health in this church body. Many of you are all kind of contributing and working hard towards the ministry that God has given us. We are a church full of people who are serving and giving and contributing and plugging in. We are a church full of contributors and not just consumers. And that's, I get excited when I see that. But let me encourage you to continue on in this hard work of ministry. Church, the work of ministry will always be hard work. And so don't look for that to end, like when we get to year five or year 10 or something like that. The work of ministry will always be hard work. Don't look for it to end, but instead look to God to strengthen you and to make you able to endure it and persevere in it. All right, so that's the first thing, okay? The first thing that could stop you from fulfilling the ministry you have received in the Lord is not getting after it in prayer or in the work that God has given you, okay? That's number one. But what else? What else could keep us from fulfilling the ministry that God has given to us? Well, in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress... Uh, Christian and his companion, Hopeful, are going along the path. They're traveling towards the celestial city, and they come upon a silver mine. And there's a gentleman there who's calling to Christian and Hopeful to come, come see the silver mine. Like, hey, come look at some of the treasures and the riches over here in this mine. And at first, you know, it doesn't appear dangerous. Hopeful is a little intrigued by it. But Christian has heard that many have fallen and been slain there. But the gentleman continues to call them, and he promises them light work and quick return. Which, I mean, all this talk, you know, about me, you know, working hard and struggling in prayer, all of a sudden, this light work and quick return, it sounds pretty good, right? I mean, as long as it's not like a pyramid scheme and we saw the structure of it and everything, it's like, okay, yeah, light work, quick return, that sounds good. But you see, this silver mine in Bunyan's story was representing wealth and worldly success. And Christian calls out to the gentleman and says, what's your name? And the gentleman calls back and he says, my name is Demas. And Christian and Hopeful do not go to the mines, but other travelers do. And as they looked over the edge, they slipped and fell in. As Psalm 73 says of those who trust in and look for riches, truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. Church, the second thing that could stop you from fulfilling the ministry you have received in the Lord 
is falling in love with this present world. Look back at Colossians 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, we don't know much about Demas, except a few years later, Paul writes another letter, and he writes this letter to Timothy. And in that letter, we find, I think, one of the scariest and the most sobering verses in all the Bible for me. And I think probably it should be for you as well. And really anyone, probably any right now American Christian or anyone that's surrounded with prosperity and wealth, I think this is maybe one of the scariest, most sobering verses. 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 10. Paul writes, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Demas, sometime after Paul writes to the Colossians, deserts him because he has fallen in love with this present world. And this is why this passage and this brief mention of Demas is so sobering to me. It's because, listen, some of our comrades in Christ, like we talked about last week, right? Some people we've been in fellowship with, some people we've gone to church with for years, maybe even some of you in here this morning, you are in danger of going the way of Demas. Are you falling in love with this present world? Demas deserts Paul because he's fallen in love with the world. But it's not just Demas. Unfortunately, it's not just Demas. Look at Colossians 4, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Are y'all familiar with the Laodiceans? Turning your Bible to Revelation 3, all right? Revelation 3. I want you guys to get comfortable turning to the book of Revelation. I, I feel like sometime in the next couple of years we'll, we'll preach and teach through it uh, because I think there's a lot of uh, bad eschatology going around right now. Revelation 3. Now listen, as you're turning there, understand the city, right? The city of Colossae had cold springs. The city of Hierapolis had really hot springs. Laodicea was in the middle. They had to pipe in their water from a, a far way away. And by the time the water got there, it was lukewarm. It was lukewarm water. And look at what Jesus says years after Colossians is written when he writes, when he speaks to the church at Laodicea in Revelation three seventeen. Jesus says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, your wealth has made you self-sufficient. 
you think you don't need anything from the Lord because your wealth has given you false, a false sense of assurance that everything is okay, but underneath that superficial wealth are hearts that are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Church, this is a very present and very real danger that could keep us from fulfilling the ministry that we have received if you fall in love with the things of this world. If you allow your wealth and your comforts to serenade your heart into a lukewarmness of self-sufficiency. And stay here in Revelation. We're going to see some good news, but, but we are warned all throughout the Bible of the dangers of seeking after temporary riches. It's not that wealth is bad, but seeking after them and trusting in them. We see all the dangers that can come from worldly success and seeking after these things instead of seeking after the Lord. 1 John 2, verse 15 it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Who are you in love with? Who are you in love with? Are, are you going right now to look over into the silver mine? Or are you following after pursuing and growing in a love of Jesus? It's not, listen, it's not difficult to examine someone's life and to see who they're in love with, right? I mean, when you're in love with someone or something, doesn't your, your, your face kind of lights up when you talk about them, right? Uh, you want to spend more time with them. A lot of your energy and your resources are spent in getting to know them more. And so who, who, who or what are you spending your time on? Who, who or what are you daydreaming about? Who or what is most valuable in your life? What love is growing stronger in your life? Is it a love for the world or is it a love for Jesus? Now listen, despite the fact that Revelation 3 and, and the Laodiceans are in a bad place, here we do see a gracious invitation by Jesus. So skip down to Revelation 3, verse 20. He says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, this passage, it's not primarily a personal salvation text, like Jesus is standing at the door of your heart knocking for you to let him in. No, this is a corporate reformation text. He's speaking to a local church, right? He's knocking at the door of the local church, and if any of the Laodiceans hear him, they would let him in, and he would come, and he would commune, and he would fellowship with them. I mean, what, what a gracious offer this is by Jesus to the church. To a church whose riches had made themselves sufficient. To a church whose, whose prosperity and success had in turn led to hearts that were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But here we still see a gracious, hopeful offer to the church. 
that Jesus still stands at the door and knocks. And Jesus still offers to come in and commune and fellowship with his people. But church, if we're not getting after it in prayer, if, if we're not about the work of the ministry, if we're falling in love more and more with the world, I mean, is anyone even listening for Jesus' voice? And many churches are not. But oh, may that not be said of this church. Which leads us to the third thing that could stop you from fulfilling the ministry you have received in the Lord. And that is you forgetting God's grace in your life. Forgetting God's grace in your life. Look back at Colossians 4, 17 and 18. These are the last two verses. We're about to finish, okay? It says, And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We must remember God's grace in our lives. We must remember that it is by grace through faith that our sins have been forgiven and we have been united to Christ. You remember we talked about this at the beginning of this letter, what theologians call our union with Christ. You see, when we remember God's grace and when we remember that we are in Christ, then all of a sudden, this is not our ministry. Right? Because what you see happens when you remember God's grace in your life and you remember God's grace in this church and when you remember God's grace in the leaders of this church, all of a sudden, this is not our ministry. And, and Paul doesn't call Archippus to his ministry. You see, what can happen is sometimes as a church gets older and as a ministry, you know, perseveres on, and as you start seeing some fruit from that ministry, the temptation is for us to start viewing this as our ministry. But Archippus is not told to fulfill his ministry. He's told to fulfill the ministry that he has received in the Lord. Therefore, because we are in Christ, we have a ministry we've received from him. But it's not our ministry. And it's certainly not my ministry. It is Jesus's ministry. And it's not a ministry that we have earned the right to have. It's not a ministry that we deserve. It's a ministry that we have received which is true about everything in your life, right? Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? I mean, think about everything in your life, all right? All of it, to some degree or another, you have received. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Listen, church, the ministry that we must fulfill is a ministry that we have received. We have no room to boast about it. 
When we celebrate our, our three-year anniversary, I mean, we even every year debate if we're going to even acknowledge that because we don't want to be prideful about it. But uh, we also know that you guys are really good at, at pitchings and lunches. And so that's like one of our gifts. So we got we to gotta capitalize on that, right? But we also, we want to make sure it's not about us. We are celebrating what we have received from God. We're celebrating God's grace in our lives and in the life of this corporate family that we have. It's all by God's grace. It's all his undeserved favor. Now listen, here's the, here's the comforting thing about this. Because I get that me calling you to fulfill the ministry that you have received, like that's a, that's a weighty thing. And I think it's healthy to feel a little bit of that weight. I mean, I, I, your, your pastors are going to take the lead in feeling that weight, but all of you should feel that weight as to what is happening here. But it should be a little overwhelming because, listen, in our own strength and in our own power, we cannot do this. Fulfill the ministry that we have received from the Lord here in Franklin, like in our own strength, in our power, we can't do it. In our own strength and in our own power, we can't struggle for one another in prayer. In our own strength, in our own power, we cannot consistently labor diligently in the work of ministry. In our own strength and in our power, we cannot stop loving this present world. And in our own strength and in our own power, we are unable to keep the riches that surround us from making us feel self-sufficient. The call to fulfill the ministry is an impossible call. But not if we remember God's grace. Not if we're in Christ. And Christ fulfilled his ministry so that you and I can now fulfill the ministry he gives to us. And on the cross, as he made complete payment for our sins, he said, it is finished. And then after he rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven to take his seat on the throne, he told his disciples, you remember that great commission, we'll come back to it again, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. What did he tell them at the very end? He says, and behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Jesus is with us. And look at how Paul closes Colossians. He says, grace be with you. If Jesus is with us, God's grace is with us. And this is our hope. This is our confidence that Jesus is on the throne, and that Jesus is with us. And so let us forever and always remember that God's grace is with us. And as I, as I wind things down, and as Paul comes to a close of his letter, church, you are the called out ones. You should feel this weight of responsibility to fulfill the ministry that you have received. 
It's going to look differently for each and every one of you, depending on how you are gifted and depending on how God has called you and equipped you and all that. But it's all coming under this umbrella of carrying out the Great Commission, of fulfilling this ministry that we have received from the Lord. But in order to do this, in order to fulfill it, we must get after it in prayer and in the work of ministry. We must cultivate a love of Christ more than a love for the things of this world. And we must do those things all the while remembering God's grace in our lives. And I, and I want to close a little bit differently this morning. Um, and, and Seth and Tim, you guys can go ahead and come, come back up here uh, and get ready for our, you know, as we continue our time of worship. Uh, but this is how I want to close. It's going to be a little unique, uh, so just, just go with it, okay? It's not going to get too weird. Everyone just calm down. It'll be okay. Um, but when I first was installed as a pastor or an elder, uh, other pastors and elders, right, had me, had me kneel, and they prayed over me. And my life has really never been the same since that day. Uh, because all of a sudden now I felt the weight of responsibility to fulfill the ministry that God had given to me. And it was the same thing that we did when we prayed over Kevin and we installed him as a pastor elder here as well. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, uh, for those of you that are physically able, uh, I'm going to ask that you, would, that you would kneel with me. It's, it's okay if you can't, like, stay in your seats. I don't want anyone to injure themselves. I know we have expensive new hardware and some knees, and uh, so if you don't feel comfortable kneeling, that is okay, all right? Just stay in your seats, but for those um, that feel comfortable kneeling, all right? I know this is a little unusual for us to do, uh, but I'd invite you guys to, to kneel, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us, all right? We want to humble ourselves before the Lord. Um, certainly, it's more of a heart posture, but sometimes a physical posture helps our heart get in that place, okay? So it's okay if you stay in your seats, that's fine. But for those that can kneel, why don't you kneel and let's pray and ask for the Lord uh, to help. Father, we do thank you that you have called us Lord, that you have opened up our eyes and our hearts to your glory, to the beauty of Christ, to see the way of salvation is in him and him alone. And Father, we thank you for this ministry that you have given to us here in Franklin. Lord, help us not take this lightly or flippantly. Help us not be a church that just plays church to go through the motions and do what we've always done. Lord, we desire to fulfill the ministry that you have given to us. This is not our ministry. This is not my ministry. This is your ministry. Help us be good stewards of what you've given and entrusted to us. Father, I ask that you would awaken in our hearts a desire to struggle in prayer, to get after it in prayer, to agonize in prayer. Help us know what that even means, Lord. Give us the desire, Lord, to pray on one another's behalf. 
Lord, would you change our mindset to see that we are not in peacetime, but we are in wartime. And we don't fight against flesh and blood, but Lord, we are fighting against spiritual powers. And so enable us and encourage us to get after it in prayer, to pray on one another's behalf. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help us work diligently and persevere in the work that you've called us to, whether that's here at the church or through our jobs out in the world? Lord, help us be good workers. Help us not worship our work, but Lord, help us worship you through our work. Would you give us the perseverance, Lord, to, to, stick, uh, to, to be diligent and to get after the work that you've given to us? Father, I ask that you would guard us Guard this people from falling in love with the world. Lord, keep us from following the path of Demas. Lord, help us be so enamored with you. Help us treasure you so much that the things of this world seem like nothing compared to the riches in Christ. I ask for everyone in here, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would guard them, that you would be growing in them a stronger love for you. Father, we ask that you would help us always remember your grace. Help us not become proud or boastful in the ministry that you are doing here, Lord. Help us stay humble and remember that this is all by God's grace. Lord, when we come upon uh, obstacles that seem like there's no way we could get over that or get past it, Lord, may we remember that all that we have done and all that we are is all by your grace. Lord, give us a grace-driven effort to take on these things that you would have for us. Lord, I believe that you have much ministry for us to do in the, in the coming years. But Lord, would you equip us for this task? We love you, Jesus. This is your church. We ask that Franklin City Church would fulfill the ministry that we have received from you. We pray this in Jesus' name.